0: If you would take your Bibles, Malachi 3, let's read our text. I want to put last week with this week because there's a contrast that's going on. Last week, we looked at the priests who were not walking with the Lord and what they were saying about God. And and then Malachi is going to contrast the remnant that is actually walking with God and acknowledging who he is. But I think it's important for us to understand it all, to put it together. Malachi 3. And we'll read 13 through the end of the chapter. So this again, this is being directed to the priests mainly. So your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, this is the seventh of seven questions they have. How have we spoken against you? And so God answers. Well, you have said this, that it's vain to serve God. And what is the profit of keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now, we call the arrogant blessed, and evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test, and they escape. He doesn't do anything about it. Now, here's the contrast. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. And in this good, what we're about to read, listen to this. And the Lord paid attention and heard them. God hears us when we walk with Him and when we pray. Who does not serve him. So, as I said a while ago, this section is a contrast from where we were last week, where the priests are speaking harsh and critical words against the Lord, accusing him of blessing those that are arrogant, blessing those who mock him. And so, hopefully, today we will be able to see accurately the contrast that's being displayed here for us. How this faithful Old Testament believers at the end of the Old Testament, the brothers and sisters are just going to walk with God regardless of how corrupt the culture is and how corrupt the religious system is. So they saw the spiritual condition around them, and yet they were going to continue to walk with God in deep faithfulness. So I want to remind us of where we were last week. They were basically three main objections that the priests were saying to God. And the first one is this, God, you're actually wrong. God had said, listen, you're speaking harsh words against me. And the people are like, we don't know what you're talking about, God. So they're charging God with not, with being wrong in his assessment of where they are, because they're like, we have really not said anything against you. Secondly, they literally said these words. And there's a bad place when the religious leadership of a land and of a people and of a group say something like this. It is no longer worth it to serve God. And the reason they said that was they were in it for the blessing. They wanted God to give them more stuff, more security, more cattle, more land, all of this. And so the priests are like, we've been serving and we've been serving and we've been serving. And you're not blessing in the manner in which we think You ought to be blessing. And so they're like, it's useless. It's in vain to actually serve God because we don't really get anything in return. And then thirdly, they charge God by saying, God, it's not fair how you're working this. We look around in our land at the arrogant. We look outside of Judah at the nations that worship other gods, and they seem to be doing better than we are doing And you seem to just let them mock you. And they can mock you. And they can sacrifice children, literally throwing them into the fire. And you do nothing about it. And yet, we, your people, your covenant people, you keep raising issue with how we are living. And so they charge God with being unfair and ignoring sin. This was what was happening and taking place. And I want to make sure that we understand this. So these are the priests who in the temple who are charged with doing the work of God and leading the people in worship are talking with other priests and going, we got a problem with God. God's not doing what we want God to be doing. And so what in the world are we doing here? It is useless. It is in vain to walk with him, to follow him and to do all of these instructions that God has for us. This was the majority's conversation about God in Judah at the end of the Old Testament. But one of the most encouraging things that I hope today by the end that your heart will be lifted is that throughout the history of the people of God and the church, God has always had a faithful group that we call the remnant. And their hearts are true to God. And regardless of what may be going on in their culture, they're not going to buy into religious lies. If they've got bad spiritual leadership, the rendement is going to continue to seek God. They're not going to allow an off-centeredness of having God be the center of things, keep them from walking with him. And they're going to talk with one another. So while the wicked are having a conversation about how God's not being fair and how God can't really accurately judge his own people, the remnant are going to talk and encourage one another that God is good, that it's worth it to walk with God and to to serve God, that God does bless. And so one group is talking negatively, negatively about God and one can't stop exalting him and making sure that God knows that their heart longs for who he is by the way you want to be in the second group you don't want to be in the first group the second group is called wicked in verse 18 so guess who that includes the priests not just the pagan nations wickedness can be inside the church and it can be outside of the church right and so it's important that there's always a remnant and there's a there's a heart in us to want to be a part of that and walk with Him. There are two defining aspects of the remnant. And we have these on the screen. Here's the first one. Their character is always revealed in the good times and in the bad times. They don't really change. You see, the remnant knows that God blesses and that God pours Himself out upon those who walk obedient with him, and so their character is revealed, and it doesn't matter the condition of the land; they're going to be godly. That's the character of the remnant. Secondly, is their conduct is shown because of the type of character that they have. So the priests are leading falsely. Well, they're not going to listen to what the priests say. You don't have to. We 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 listen to, a, to what God's word says, and we walk in obedience to that. So if the culture is saying, well, I know we used to call that evil, but now we're calling it good, the remnant says, no, that's still evil. And what God has always called good, that maybe now is called evil, no, it's still good because God is the one, hear this, hear this, hear this, God defines what's good and what's evil, not a culture, not anybody else, and he has defined it. And so we, as his people, walk with him where our character is connected in integrity and biblically, and as we do that, the conduct of our life is seen. And sometimes the remnant, if you're a part of it, is very few in certain settings and situations, and sometimes we even have to stand alone in some of those places, but the encouragement that we're going to see today is to continue to be to stay faithful and walk with God, even when no one else is around. So the next thing I want us to see connected with that by way of introduction is what is going on in these two groups. So we're going to be a part of one of them as God's people. God, again, is mainly dealing with Judah. He's not dealing with any of the nations outside of Judah. He's dealing with the nation of Judah who has come back now about 100 years after the Babylonian captivity. And everybody in the room this morning is going to be in one of these two groups. The first group is going to be the grumblers that complain and question God. And, and those who claim God's name actually do that. It's all around in our culture today. Where God is being blamed by people who claim his name of not being fair, of not doing what's right... And questioning him. So we're either going to be a part of that group. Or we're going to be a part of the group. That fears and it lives in awe of God's name. And deeply desires in every part of our life. Though we will never do it perfectly. To exalt him. And to fear him. And while the remnant group. May be small in numbers. And may be sometimes seen as odd. Anybody odd in the room this morning? We are odd in the culture. Yes, yeah, some of y'all raise your hand and amen. I saw y'all that raise your hand. I've been around you enough, I know. And sometimes we're called too conservative, too strict, too staunch in that stance. The world has always accused God's people. Noah was accused in his generation. It has always happened throughout history. And guess what? It will continue until Jesus makes everything right so that just simply means for us we know this is the case we're going to be odd we're going to be called names we're going to be seen in this way but we continue to walk in faithfulness and so it's important for us I think this morning to take a look at this remnant group at the end of the Old Testament where God is no longer um, we've got two more weeks in Malachi and when Malachi ends God's not going to send any more prophets until John the Baptist comes. God is going to be so fed up with his people who should have known better and who should have walked with them. He's going to be silent for 400 years. He's not going to raise up any new prophets. No new scripture, sacred scripture is going to be written. He's going to give his people what they wanted, life without him. Life of walking and disobedience and just staying there. And there'll be pockets in that 400 years of God doing things. In and in again, the remnant, the Maccabees, this group of walking faithfully with God. But for the most part, it's going to continue to be corrupt until John the Baptist comes. And this great move of God happens with John's preaching and John's baptism. And then Jesus comes on the scene. So here's what I want to do today, and I'm about to frighten you, okay? I have eight points, okay? That's going to frighten you with me, but we're going to get through them. And I want to show you what the true remnant of God looks like. There is great instruction in the the Old Testament for us to understand how we as new covenant believers are to walk with God. And I love what this begins with. Here's the first principle. The remnant of God always fear the Lord. Now, fearing the Lord is not jumping around the corner and frightening somebody. Fearing God means this, that I'm going to honor God. I'm going to be in awe of who He is. And I'm going to walk in faithful obedience to the commandments that He has set forth. And so Malachi in verse 16 Gives this first contrast. Then there were those different than the priest who spoke harshly against God and questioned God. There were those who feared the Lord. The remnant guarded their words. They trusted in the righteousness of God, not their own righteousness. They were as Abraham was. Genesis 15, 6, and he believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. The remnant trusts what God says to be true. And so all around them, God was being disrespected in every kind of way. God was not being seen rightly in his holiness. But the remnant greatly had deep reverence for God and was in awe of God and wanted to walk in obedience to who he was. These two groups in Judah could not be any wider apart from one another. And while the majority walked with this wide group and the priests and the way that they thought about things, this smaller group was faithful in walking with the Lord. And they kept themselves in a state of connection to God because their desire to live in fear of him and to honor him. Here's what's encouraging. When the remnant got together, they didn't buy into what was being said all around them. They just knew what was true about God, and they they just spoke it to one another. There was a consistent conversation about who God is, about how great God is, and what God does. Now, Solomon was said to be the wisest man who ever lived on the planet. I have some questions about aspects of his life. Now, I believe that he was wise, but, but if you're extremely wise, you do not abandon God and try to find life away from God. And that's what the book of Ecclesiastes is about. Solomon decides in the very beginning of the book of Ecclesiastes, can you find life under heaven? In other words, what that means, can I find life leaving God out of the picture? And so Solomon does anything that you can do, tries anything that you can try. And at the very end of the book... He, he does have some wise counsel. Listen to these words. This is Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14. He says, the end of the matter, after everything has been heard, here's the conclusion of it all. After everything has been heard, here's what Solomon concluded. Here's what you must do in your life. You must fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Why? Well, there's going to be an account that everybody's going to have to give. And so Solomon writes, For God will bring every deed into judgment and with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So the remnant at the end of the Old Testament, Malachi's generation, the majority spoke ill about God. The remnant, small group, spoke favorable things about God. And they knew what Solomon had wrote was true. We are to fear God and keep His commandments. And that indicates the wisdom and the understanding that we need in our lives. And I believe that one of the things that grows out of a reverential fear of God is a desire to actually live holy lives. And to keep a posture before God to honor Him and to exalt Him in our mind, with our hands, with our feet, with our eyes and our ears, that God would be exalted and honored in every way. So the remnant enter into God's presence, not boldly telling God what to do, but they come humbly knowing that God does bless. But we come with a posture that he is God and we are not. And so whatever he decides is good. Do you you believe that today? If God is absolutely good, when he says no to something, that's good. And when God does some, something good to bless our prayers, then that's good. If God decides, well, no, you're going you're to pray for that person for a decade, and then I'm going to step in and do something. If he decides to wait, guess what? That's good. Everything he does is good. So this generation at the end of the Old Testament lived in such a way to honor God by fearing Him. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 1. Listen to these words. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near, to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools for they do not know That they are doing evil. That verse just speaks of this. When we come together as God's people to worship him, we come humbly. We draw near. I'm going to listen. What does God have to say to me today? I'm going to listen. I'm going to listen. And if I need to be quiet and not say anything, then I don't need to say anything. I don't need to sing anything. I need to listen. What is God telling me and how God is leading me? When we lived in Germany planting churches, um, just south of the city we lived in was a city called Cologne, and they've got this gigantic um, Catholic cathedral there called the Dome. And inside there, there's a section that's kind of cornered off, or it's not really cornered off, but it's kind of centered around there with these golden, kind of spiky things. But inside there is a crypt that they say the bones of the wise man are in there, which they're not. But I would watch people every time I would go in there and they would reach through those golden things trying to reach as best they can to get as close as they could to the bones of the wise men. And I just wanted to say to them, there is a living Lord that has resurrected and he is not in a tomb. He is alive, and those, if the wise men are in there, they cannot help you. So I want to remind you and I today, I don't know what you're reaching for thinking it's going to fix your life. Only one can, and that is King Jesus, and we are to live in fear of him. So secondly, this remnant not only feared the Lord, but they lived with one another in a speaking biblical truth community and so here's what it says verse 16 then those who feared the lord spoke with one another so you've got a group speaking evil against god called the wicked then you've got a remnant those who are fearing god and they are speaking with one another here's what marks the remnant of god in america today They speak about the nature and the character and the glory of God as a consistent part of their conversations with one another. There is one thing in the room today that is above all things, and that is the name and the glory and the worth of God. So we don't want to talk about me. We don't want to talk about anybody else. We want to talk about Jesus. And so, God, speaking here, describes this generation at the end of the Old Testament. They talked and talked and talked with one another about the glory of God. He was the centerpiece of their conversations. And there was a great longing in the beginning that God had for the people of God to live astonished in regard to who He is. Understanding the greatness of His presence... And we are there. And when we are there in that presence. Listen to these words. This is way back when. But there's some really important things here. This is Deuteronomy. They are about to enter into the promised land. Moses is not going to get to go. But Moses is giving the law a second time to remind the generation that it is going to go in. And so in Deuteronomy 5 beginning in 22. Listen to these words. These words the Lord spoke. "...to all your assembly at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, the cloud, and the thick darkness. And he spoke with a loud voice, and he added, no more. And then he wrote them on two stone, tablets of stone, and he gave them to me. And as soon as you..." Now Moses speaking to the nation. "...and as soon as you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness... Just think about this for a moment. Listen, listen to these words. And, when, and as soon as you heard the voice of God out of the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, can you fathom what Israel saw? Moses is up on the mountain, and God's given him the Ten Commandments. God's voice is speaking. There's thick darkness. The mountain is on fire because God's holy presence is there. The people, it says this, you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders. And you said, behold, the Lord, our God has shown us his glory and greatness. And we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. This day we have seen God speak with man and man still live. So now, therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore, we shall die. Here's what's happening. The people for the first time were starting to fear God. That his holy presence. You should be cautious about that. And so the leaders kind of came to Moses and said, okay, we we get it. Holy God, fire on the mountain, Thunder, darkness. He's holy. We are not. So Moses, we are asking you if you will speak with God on our behalf because we recognize who he is and then you will come and you will tell us what is on God's heart. For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore, we shall die. And then they say this, For who is there of all flesh? that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of fire as we have and has stout and still lived. So they say, go near and you hear all that the Lord our God will say and speak to us all that the Lord our God will speak to you. And listen to what they said. We will hear it and we will do it. In verse 28 of Deuteronomy 5 says this. And the Lord heard your words, Moses tells them, when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I have heard the words of this people, which they have spoken to you. And they are right in all that they have spoken. This is a holy divine moment. Because from this moment forward, this is going to be deeply rare. This is not how they're going to continue to see God. And listen to what God said in 29. Oh, that they had such a heart as this always to fear me and to keep all my commandments, that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. So the remnant always learns the lesson that we must fear God keep His commandments, and have a consistent conversation about the Word of God and the revelation of God and the names of God. Psalm sixty six sixteen 16 says this, Come and hear, people, all you who fear God, and I will tell you what the Lord has done for my soul. This is to be the way and the manner in which we live. We talk about the work of God and the glory of God. that is in the midst of us. And we have these conversations of how awesome and how good and how mighty he is. When the remnant got together, they lived with one another in biblical community where the words of God and the nature of God, that was the centerpiece of their conversation. So they would get together and they would confess, they would pray, they would speak biblically, they would wait, they would encourage, they would share the communal life that belongs to those of the faith. And their gathering consisted of the authenticity of faith where there was both a vertical and honoring of God and then a horizontal encouraging and loving others when they got together. This is absolutely so important for us is that this remnant here at the end of the Old Testament lived together and lived with one another in biblical community. Well, that just wasn't a lesson for the Old Testament, was it? It's for us as well. One of the greatest texts about community and what this looks like is Hebrews 3.13. But exhort, encourage one another. Every day... Do you have everyday people in our lives who will do this and practice that? That every day there's an exhortation and encouragement to walk with God and to follow God. So the writer writes, exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. This is Sunday, but Sunday is today. That shows how smart I am. And so as long as it is called today, the writer says, you've got to have people in your life and you've got to be this in other people's lives. You are encouraging others. And here's why. As long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We live in a nation right now that is hardened by sin. That's why... Things that are good are now called evil. And things that were evil are now called good. And it's it's this way. But again, the remnant has discernment to know that, no, as long as it is called today, we're going to encourage our family and other believers to walk with God so that their hearts will not be deceived and become hard. Here's the third thing that Malachi writes in verse 16. So amazing. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another in community, and the Lord paid attention and heard them. When God's people take serious, fearing Him and having Him the, the key piece of why we do things and a key part of our discussions, did you get what He said there? God paid attention and he heard them. Sometimes we think, well, yeah, I prayed again about that, Phil, that thing and that person or for that person, for my church, for my spouse. And I just not for sure if God has any care and listened to anything that I have to say. And I want to tell you today That is a lie of the enemy. When God's people walk in biblical faithfulness and we fear him and we are in awe of him, either this is true or it's a lie. Which is it? It's truth. So God pays attention and he hears. Listen to this word, paid attention. It's what it's a, it's, a Greek, it's a, actually a Hebrew word. It's a Hebrew word that um, described a horse that hears the owner come into the place and its ears just, just stand at attention. Because they recognize the voice and they know that the owner is coming in to do good and to be good. And so that's what we are to be like. To live in a way that fears God and when we fear God and we pray to God and our heart loves God, God, listen, God lifts His ears. He turns. There's a focus of His heart to listen to what's being prayed and what's being called out to Him. Just as the horse comes to attention because it knows the voice, so God comes to attention when those who faithfully fear Him and walk in His commandments when they pray. Listen to Psalm 33, 18. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, and it's on those whose hope is in His steadfast love. Psalm 34, 9. Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints. For those who fear Him have no lack. God meets their needs. He takes care of them. Psalm 34, 15. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and His ears toward their cry. God oh man how amazing is this when we fear him and keep his commandments and we call out to him God pays attention and he hears how we live, how we pray how we talk about him this word heard here in the Hebrew means to bend over patiently remember when your kids were little and you could tell They were serious. And so you bend down and you listen. That's what this word means. That when God's people live in awe of him and keep his commandments and they cry out to him, God pays attention. His ears perk up. And he leans in. And he listens so that not even one syllable is missed. That's what this Hebrew word means to lean in and not miss a syllable there's an interesting text in Daniel 10 Daniel gets this word from the Lord and he's like a vision and he's like what in the world does this mean and he starts praying immediately when he gets the word and he calls out to God deeply seeking to try to understand what he has been shown well Here's what the text says a little bit later. This angel arrives. The angel was sent on the first day that Daniel sought to understand this truth. Sent it on its way. But for 21 days, it's not there. So the angel arrives and says to Daniel 10 verse 11. And the angel said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved... Understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. For now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, Daniel said, I stood up trembling. And then he said to me, fear not, Daniel. For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and you humbled yourself before your God, your words, listen to this, have been heard. They were heard by God in that first initial instance. And I have come because of your words. Y'all remember why the angel couldn't get there for 21 days? Because it met the the demon from the prince of Persia and there was a spiritual war that was taking place. And that angel got to Daniel. But God heard Daniel immediately. Why? Because he feared God He walked in God's commandments in a pagan land with pagan kings. God showed him favor. Why? Because God was the highest thing that Daniel had. And he lived in a way to honor God. And So the Lord pays attention to the righteous. This brings us to the fourth one. And the righteous are remembered. They are remembered by God. Sometimes, let's be honest... We can be just like Malachi's generation. We look around and we're like, why do all the people who mock God seem to just not have any problems? They've got fame, money, cars, houses, wherever they want to have houses, and yet they mock God. And if we're not careful, we can drift into that thing that God's not concerned about the mocking of his name. And then we can kind of think as they did here, that God's not interested in the righteous. But God wants the remnant to know this, and He wants us to know this this morning, is that the righteous are remembered, they are not forgotten. Now they may be forgotten in history, but the one who matters, God, does not forget the righteous. He does not do this. And so the last part, I think it's the last part, and eventually we're going to get to seventeen. Well, we're not there yet. We'll get there in a second. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord. So, this concept of a book of remembrance goes all the way back to Exodus 32:32. 32, 32. Here's the words. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. Then Isaiah gives some more insight about this book of remembrance in this book: Isaiah 49:14. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. And then he asked a question, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget. And yet I will not forget. And listen to what God says. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands and your walls are continually before me, God will not forget His people. He will not forget His people. Faithful words of ours may get lost after our life is over with and we spoke and lived in a way to honor God, but they are not lost. God remembers every single one of them. John MacArthur wrote based on this question, why did the righteous need to know that there was a book of remembrance of their deeds? And he writes these words, in the hearts of the true and righteous worshipers who loved and served God in Israel, all the talk of judgment produced fear that they too might be swept away when God's wrath came. So to encourage the godly remnant, Malachi noted how the Lord had not forgotten those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name. So I want to remind everybody in the room this morning. Maybe you feel like you're not recognized even by your family and your righteousness and the things that you say and the manner in which you live. Maybe at your work you're mocked. And you make sure that what you say and how you live is God-honoring. And it looks like all around when we do the right thing that it's not being remembered, it's just being mocked, and it doesn't really matter. And I'm here today to tell you that the righteous are remembered by God, and we will be rewarded. I love this text in Psalm 56.8. Listen to this about God. You have kept count of my tossings. You ever tossed at night, stressed? Wondering about the future, wondering about a relationship, wondering about the health of a child or whatever the case may be. You have kept count of my tossings and wonderings and put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? That's what... Psalm 56.8 says. So there's not a tear that the righteous have cried over their children, over their family, over integrity, over a nation that God has not put in a bottle. I don't know what kind of big bottle that is. That's a big bottle. Just to deal with my tears of my lifetime. Why is that important for us to know? that God knows how much he knows intrinsically. He doesn't have to count. He doesn't have to keep it. He's God. He's omniscient, perfect knowledge. He knows how many times since we were a baby to last night how many times we've tossed during the night. He just knows it. And then he takes our tears and he puts them in a bottle. Why is that so important for us to know? Because it reminds us that when we live in a culture that is deceived by sin, that when we live righteously, nobody else may know, but who knows and who takes note? God does. And so this is to lift us today to recognize that, yeah, maybe I'm standing all alone in my family. I'm the only believer in my family. That may be what some of you are saying. And nobody seems to listen. We're about to have Thanksgiving again, and they're not going to listen this Thanksgiving again either. And I want to remind you today that God will take note of your words and your integrity and your faithfulness. He doesn't forget His people. Here's the fifth thing. They esteem His name. It's the last part of verse 16. They esteemed His name. The righteous, the remnant, love the name of God. This word for esteem means to give a lot of thought to to think about. Those who esteem the name of God, they have set their thoughts upon the name of God. And when the Bible refers to the name of God, it's more than a name, it's referring to who He is. That was the thing. So it's thinking about His qualities, His holiness, His doctrine, His love, His mercy, His grace, His forgiveness, His judgment, His moral standards. And again, the majority... In Judah, we're mocking God's name, but the remnant highly esteemed God's name and valued God's name. I know people in this body, and I love talking to you. I love when you come around because you can't stop speaking and worshiping Jesus even when we're having conversations. And yeah, it may bother other people. And by the way, if we are a believer and we ever say to somebody else, why do they always talk like that about God? We need to check our hearts. We should talk about Him all the time. Some people are the embodiment of this verse. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And their heart is always connected. To the majesty of our King. Those who practice loving and exalting the name of God, they know God's names that He's provider, He's our banner, He is our peace, He is our righteousness, He is presence, He is the good shepherd, He is the water of life, He is light, He is life, He is the gospel, He is our shepherd. Now think on this with me for a moment in regard to the remnant in Malachi's day. The greatness of the nation of Israel was gone. The priests had failed and they were corrupt. Worship was skewed. The power of the nation was weak. They were not giving tithes. They had made a sham and a mockery of marriage. But for the remnant in the the midst of a broken generation just did this, let's talk about the name. Let's talk about him. He is our hope. He is our peace. His glory is everything that we need. They knew this to be true. Proverbs eighteen ten. The name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into it and are safe. And they live this way of honoring God and exalting His name and knowing that it's a tower. And I tell you, as the failure of the American self litters our American culture, may you and I see the unbelievable great wealth that we possess to know the name of Jesus Christ. That it's ours. That He is mine and I and his. The sixth thing about the righteous remnant, in case you didn't like the one before, I hope you like this one. Um, we'll have some nurses in the foyer to see if you're alive after the service. The Lord claims his own and he affirms his own. So we finally got to 17 and we are close to I just turned this page and we'll be finished, okay? So I told you we could get there. 17 says, they shall be mine, says the Lord of angel armies, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. They shall be mine, says the Lord of angel armies, in the day, pointing to a specific date, a reference, a time reference, when he will make up his treasured possession. We've been watching from afar on television what is taking place in Israel right now. And they have for most of their history been a persecuted people. They are still a persecuted people. They are still a troubled people. Why? They rejected their Messiah. He came to them and they killed Him. Now it doesn't justify anything that has happened to them But this is what happens when there's a rejection of God. This is what happens. In rejection of the glory of Jesus. And they have been a troubled people for thousands of years. Starting when Nebuchadnezzar came in, they have been an oppressed people. All the way through Rome having power and all those other nations having power over them. Not having a nation and finally becoming a nation. But there's going to come a day when God is going to ultimately fulfill And he's going to rescue the Jewish people. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to turn to him and they're going to believe in their Messiah finally. Ezekiel writes about it. Jeremiah writes about it. And it's more coming a day, the millennial kingdom, when the Jewish nation is going to turn back and they're going to say, Jesus, you are truly our king. And we believe in you. And there's going to be a dramatic change. And so when, when the Lord speaks here, He says, They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day that I make up my treasured possession. God promised them back in the day that they would be His unique people. And God, as we talked a few weeks ago in Malachi, does not change. He doesn't change. So what does that mean for us? Well, today I want you to use this word when you go out. It's a Hebrew word called segula, S-E-G-U-L-L-A-H. And it means in the Hebrew, treasured possession. I thought about how cool it would be just to get a shirt that said segula and people would have to ask us, what in the world is that? And we could say, well, I have met the king of the universe. And he saved me, and I've become his treasured possession. So, if anybody wants to run with my t shirt idea, you can do that. Um, this word means listen to this valued personal property that the owner holds a special affection for and highly values. That's us. Is that not amazing today? That those who have been redeemed by God are the Sagula of God, his treasure possession. The seventh thing is found in the last part of seventeen. God says, I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. God preserves what he treasures. Do you believe that today? The man has a son who serves him faithfully. What's what's that father going to do with that son? He's going to love that son and honor that son. And for the faithful remnant of God who don't bind to the lies of the culture, there's a unique, unique relationship that they have with God. And God just says there, I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves them. That God preserves what he treasures. And I tell you, our world today is this way. The world will give no recognition to those who fear God and serve Him faithfully. And so we have to remind ourselves, we have to speak to one another to remind ourselves, we have to remind our individual selves that I am His special Segula. And He will spare me and He will preserve me because He has treasured me. Now I don't get that today. I'll just be honest with you, because I know my heart better than you know my heart. If you may think I've got darkness in my heart, well I live with me, and I am absolutely <coughs> amazed today that the eternal, sinless, perfect Lamb of God, that I have become his sagula. And that's my grace is amazing. It's why we sing. It's why we do what we do. So the righteous live the way they do because they know this. They're secure in him. And that he preserves what he treasures. And he treasures his redeemed people who have been bought by the blood of Jesus. Lastly, there will be eventually, maybe not today in our generation and in our lifetime where there's not a real distinction between the righteous and the unrighteous. And the unrighteous get more glory in this world. But there will come a day when there will be a distinction of what is right and of the true people of God and those that are not the true people of God. So in 18, then once more you will see, God says here, you're going to see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. The righteous serve God, and he's their passion. And the one who doesn't serve him, they will be seen as people who did not, and God will make this clear. Now, it may be ultimately at the day of judgment, but we know this to be true, that God ultimately, in the end, is going to make this distinction. That one's mine. That one is not mine. This one loved me and stood alone in their generation. This one modeled their family after Christ's likeness. This one did not. The distinction will be there. And all those who mock his name will still have to bow the knee and say his name is great. Now they will not enter into heaven and enter into his glory. But every knee is going to bow. Every knee is going to bow. And every tongue is going to confess that there has always been one Lord and its name is Jesus Christ. So in closing, God does with the remnant four things. He hears all those who fear him. He hears them. Secondly, he remembers those who fear him. Thirdly, he saves and spares those who fear him. And fourthly, he will make the true servants of God, distinguishable, both the righteous and those that do not serve them who are the unrighteous. Pray for me for a moment. Just, I'm about to read a story to you. It's not real long as we finish. And I've gotten emotional every time I've read this story. When I found it, I teared up. Yesterday, Pam was doing something in the kitchen. I read the story again, and I was like, wow. So anyway, um, it's okay to cry, right? It's okay to cry. But I, I, I want you to hear this. I don't want to get too emotional that you can't hear the story. I want you to listen to this. This is the picture of what it means to be the remnant of God. Years ago, an elderly missionary couple who had served for years in Africa, was returning to New York City to retire. They were feeling discouraged, defeated, and afraid. Their health was broken from the time on the field, and they had no retirement pension. When they got to the wharf in Africa to board the ship, they discovered that they were booked on the same boat as President Theodore Roosevelt, who was returning from a big-game hunt in Africa, the same continent they had served the Lord on. No one paid any attention to this old couple, but they watched the fanfare as the president arrived. A band was playing and the crowd was waving and straining for a glimpse of the great president. As the ship crossed the Atlantic, the old man grew more and more depressed. He said to his wife, something is wrong. Why should we have given our lives in faithful service to God in Africa all these years and yet no one cares for us? This man comes back from a hunting exhibition there and everyone throngs to see him. It doesn't seem fair. His wife tried to comfort him but he couldn't shake his developing deep depression. As the boat docked in America... More bands were playing, and more crowds had turned out to greet the president. Many dignitaries were there, and the papers carried the story on the front page. But no one noticed the missionaries. They slipped off the boat and went to hunt for a cheap apartment and for jobs. That night, the man's spirit broke. He felt that God had abandoned them he complained again to his wife, we don't have anyone to help us and we have nowhere to go. Why hasn't God met our needs? His wife wisely replied, why don't you go into the bedroom and talk to the Lord about this whole thing? Sometime later, he came out of the bedroom but his face was different. He was happy now. His wife asked him, what happened? He said, well, I went in and told the Lord the whole thing, all of it. And I told him it wasn't fair. I told him how bitter I was because the president received this tremendous homecoming and no one met us and knew that we had come home. And he told his wife, and you know, as I finished, it seemed as if the Lord put his hand on my shoulder and simply said, my child. You're not home yet. Why serve God? Why have Him as the centerpiece of our lives and be faithful? Because we get the ultimate blessing of living in His presence for all of eternity. And so it's worth it here. Worth it here to make Him everything. And our culture has fallen apart. But that doesn't mean that we have to. We can maintain our sanity by being as the remnant in Malachi's generation. You fear God and you keep His commandments, And when you do that, God moves and He takes care of and He reminds the remnant. And He hears us, and He leans in, and He pays attention. There is not a person in this room today that when we walk with Him, that He doesn't do that. He tells us that's who He is. Is that not amazing? That's who He is to His people. Can you taste that today? Can you taste that? Will you allow that to settle inside you? Yeah, maybe your parents, or you were growing up, told you, that you didn't have value? Well, I'm here to tell you there's a perfect heavenly Father who thinks you have value. And he has moved heaven and earth to put his Son on a cross to bear your sin and to make you his treasure. That's the goodness of our God. So let's taste it. Let's know it. Let it sink deep, deep, deep